What's up, y'all? I'm Jake. And we want to welcome you to Do You Even Lift, Bro? Men Exercising Social Justice. Thanks for tuning in as Jake and I have kind of processed through something that's been on my mind mostly. Um, Jake, actually, you have no idea what I'm about to say, so this should be super exciting. How are you feeling? Feeling pretty good. Um, I'm just curious of what, where your thoughts are. So, Like, I think this po- this particular conversation might get us into the weeds of masculinity. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if we fully flushed out some of the core elements of masculinity. And I know the more and more we do this, the more and more into the weeds we might have to get. But I do think understanding the nuances of how different identities interact with masculinity is part of that conversation that needs to be had. And so um, this particular conversation will feel more in the weeds, I think, for some folks. But again, part of our goal here is to model and bring up issues that don't often get brought up and talked about. So we're going to jump into it and try to figure, I'm going to try my best to explain what's been on my mind. Um, and hopefully it'll turn out to be a little something, something. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So the title of this podcast, uh, I think I want to keep it at white dudes being Asian. Um, there's this thing that's been on my mind a lot that just kind of, I guess bothers me. And what's tough about this whole deal is I like identify as mixed, right? I identify as Japanese and white. And so there's a fairly common like retort, I guess, whenever I talk about race of someone saying, well, aren't you white too or whatever. Right. And yes, I am. But my racialized experience growing up is definitely not a white experience. Right. So it's really hard on like, it's a deep, deep micro eh, macroaggression of like a racial macroaggression. And so one of the things that comes up a lot for me um and i think is a, a trend but maybe not super generalizable is i experience a lot of white men who are like really into asian stuff and i use asian very broadly because i think within that particular group there is an ability to distinguish between J- chinese culture and uh, japanese culture and korean culture although i don't see a whole lot of korean culture being co-opted by men but when i think about like this stereotypical white dude who's into Asian stuff. I think about him with long hair, kind of skinny, owns a lot of like swords into anime. And then what really kind of roots this in masculinity for me is in order for this particular person to sort of complete his Asianness, even though he's white, is having an Asian girlfriend. That is where it makes it different for me in terms of like white dudes who like want to be black. I don't even know if that's the right way to phrase it, but there's a particularly masculine overtone for white dudes emulating or wanting to sort of incorporate uh, Asian culture, quote unquote, Asian cult- culture into their lives. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can think about a lot of things. Yeah, I think the exotification of like Asian women is so interesting as well within that. Is that where you're trying to hit at? No, I mean, a little bit, right? I think historically... One of the sacrifices, if you will, of white people gaining white privilege is sort of shedding ethnic cultural values, right? There's a lot of things that German folks hold dear and are traditional for them. There's a lot of like Irish traditions. Um, There's a lot of English traditions, right? And one of the things that happened historically in the United States for white folks is in order to gain white privilege, you shed ethnic pride in a sense. And I think one of the results that's really starting to pop up a lot for me is there's an empty emptiness of culture within white bodies. And I think one of the way it manifests for white men in particular is to try to absorb Asian culture as a way to like feel full. Like I also see like I, see, I follow Lupe Fiasco on Facebook. He posts a lot of videos of him and like a quote unquote traditional samurai garb and kind of practicing with a sword. And I understand like 
the discipline and the, the fun and like it's almost like mindfulness for him potentially i don't know but it's different for me between black men and white men who do it because i i don't know it's just uh, there's just a different stratification of power in that and i think for white men it's another example of and the reason why i said at the beginning like when i look like visualize this person who's kind of trying to absorb Asian culture. There's like a skinnier dude or a dude with long hair, like not your traditionally hyper-masculine man. And I feel like absorbing at least the pretty hyper-masculine aspects of Asian culture is a way to make up for that missing component of masculinity that they feel like they might have. This is just completely theory and conjecture, and it's, but it's been on my mind a lot about how there's a pretty a lot of really gross masculine overtones of white men trying to be asian in a sense yeah um kind of one something that kind of came up to me was cultural vacancy say more um because like i feel like thinking about it like white especially white men in this context like can basically put on this hat like culture is like a hat or like a, a like a piece of clothing that they can just take off at the end of the day whereas like asian men that's their culture like that's their thing whiteness kind of manifests to where culture is this thing that can just be temporary like oh i was into asian culture for like a year and then now i'm into (laughs) native american culture like okay and how i feel like i guess this like thing of like sense of belonging with whiteness is so fascinating because i guess the the way i think about it is that power the power that we have as white people kind of deletes this sense of like cultural belonging that we feel like we need to have if this if this make, is making any sense um because we feel like we are not as unique as like quote unquote unique as like people that have actually unique culture and nice like things that are not ingrained in white supremacy good right and like whiteness i think in the united states is defined way more by what it's not than it is for what it is yeah and then when white culture manifests itself it's really hard to distance white culture in the United States from white supremacy and oppression and just the brutalization of people of color as a whole. And so when I think about Charlottesville and how it was almost, it was mostly men who were there, right? That is a manifestation of white culture for me, a sense of insecurity, a sense of needing to take things back, like whatever that means, um, a sense of entitlement and ownership to stuff that doesn't even make sense. Those parameters were set by white people our, our ancestors as Americans. And so this, this really unfortunate emptiness, I think a lot of white people might feel in a cultural sense. I think men could also feel in a gen, not, not maybe not a gender sense, but the culture of men can also be really empty and, and lonely. But the reason why I sort of started with this entire concept of white men being Asian, I think all of that really comes together. And for some dudes, it's just, that's an area where they somehow feel like they belong or it's just gross. <laughs> like I, I hate it. And, mm-hmm. and I understand that part of it is a manifestation of a lot of culture being ripped away from white folks, but the damage that it does to the perspective and the ideas and thoughts around Asian American culture is pervasive. And um, I can think of a lot of ways where it intrudes on a sense of Asian American community for me, like growing up and being an undergrad um, and going to the Asian Pacific American student services and or cultural center. Um, there was usually, it's almost exclusively white dudes that hang out in there. Like 
if there if there aren't Asian identified people or if there are non Asian American identified people in the space, it's usually white dudes. And it always disrupted for me the sense of home and belonging that I felt that that space represented. And I don't and I think most that's mostly because the men that were in there didn't go in with a sense of honoring the fact that they're in someone else's space because they already believe that that space was theirs. Um, and I don't I don't go to the black African-American cultural center space very often or a central space very often. Um, but I don't believe that there's just a bunch of white people hanging out in those spaces. And I think it's very significant that APAC, the Asian Pacific American cultural center is where white people hang out or feel most comfortable hanging out. The reason why I thought this particular conversation fit in with, do you even live bro is it's really brought home for me that in order for white men to really complete their Asianness, I almost always see those dudes who are like kneeling and meditating under their swords that they bought from some website. Yeah. Or a flea market. Yeah, <laughs> or flea market. Or they went to Chinatown that one time. I feel like in order for them to be complete or whatever, they almost exclusively seek out and date Asian women. And then that's why whenever we do presentations around sexual assault and stuff, or I don't know if that's why. But the exception that Asian women are sexually assaulted, not from other Asian men, but from white men, I think part of this cultural uh, appropriation that white men do is integral to that particular conversation. And I don't know if that conversation has been fully like has a, has been allowed space to, to happen, you know. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so at this point, we'd like to bring in Evan uh, as a guest. Say hi to people's Evan. What's going on? Thank you. Um, so before we kind of jump to your reactions to what Jake and I sort of discussed, and by discussed, I mean I ranted on, um, <laughs> can you tell us what some of your most salient identities are? Yeah, for sure. Um, I identify as a white male, uh, straight, use male pronouns, very cut of the mill, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. Thank but, you. Of course. Uh, and so the reason why I invited Eben onto this particular topic for this particular podcast is... Uh, I teach a class called Ethnicity in Film, the Asian American Experience, and I've been more or less impressed by Eben's responses and reactions to some of the topics that we talk about in the class. And so as a white dude and or someone that I perceive to be a white dude and just recently identified himself that way. So go me. <laughs> um, I thought that talking to him about the way this topic plays out in his life um, based on like his majors, his interests, um, I thought it'd be cool to not interrogate necessarily, but <laughs> talk to him a little bit about yeah, like what this is like for his, him. Pick his brain. Yeah, there That's, you go. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, so I've been pretty fascinated with foreign culture in general. I started off learning French and I just like, I found this passion for foreign language. And as I like started rolling up on college, um, I decided Chinese would probably be my interest, like especially seeing China grow as a global power. Okay. It's like the, the interest of like how dominant they are in the world. So I started off with this learning Chinese last year when I came to college and it kind of took me over. I went to China once my senior year of high school and went and studied at Hunan University in China this cool. summer through a program, which was awesome, by the way. But yeah, so this like I've grown into like this deep learning, like language, culture and all. So what, man, what, what are some of, your, some of your thoughts on the discussion that we had? Yeah, for sure. Um, I thought it's an interesting topic and it's something that I don't think is probably talked about enough, particularly with Asian American identity. I think we see a lot of uh, this kind of white appropriation of African American identity mm -hmm. in America. We see that a lot because I think, of course, like what you said, white people, what I thought was most interesting is like they get a take culture and put it on like an accessory. 
I thought that was super dope what you said about that. And I think people do that all the time. And particularly you see a lot of examples with it, with white people doing it to African-American men all the time. Like the N word comes to mind, right? Mm-hmm. Of course, unsettingly, like hip hop music, just like the way they dress and like a lot of people and people are taking like white people are using their power because they think it's cool and they get to pick and choose where they're like stealing at. And that's like, it's totally backwards. Cause, mm-hmm. Right. So I have this analogy. It's like a friend tells you they really like your shoes. And they're like, oh, I think they match your shirt. I love the outfit. Uh, you see them the next day just walking around, right? And they're wearing the 100% exact same outfit. Like they went out and bought the same shoes, the same shirt, the same jeans. Now you'd be like totally creeped out and bewildered. Like no matter how good of a friend, you'd be like, dude, what the f- are you doing? <laughs> and this is happening like every day, except for it's with culture. And like something generally like people of color value far more than fashion, right? Like culture should be held to a higher standard, but it's, it's happening. And, uh, when somebody takes it, like namely white people with power, it's like terrible. Like you modify this analogy, your friend admires your outfit and never wears it. You feel complimented and more likely to wear it again. Right. Mm-hmm. Like you're not creeped out cause they didn't show up wearing it, but you're like, Oh sweet. They think that piece is dope. I'm going to wear that again next week. And like, that's what white people need to do with culture. You shouldn't just be like taking it and putting it on. You need to like come from a point of appreciation and interest. It's about education, right? I think that's where that conversation of flattery versus appropriation comes in. I think that's a good analogy that I can. Mm-hmm. And also like white men can take it off at the end of the day. Right. Just like clothes, like, like clothes are perfect. It's kind of rudimentary, but it's a good analogy. Uh-huh. But like people of color, it's like literally their life. Like they exactly. don't, they don't get to take shit off at all. Anything off. Exactly. So. Do you think then there is some level of difference of white dudes in particular emulating black culture or appropriating black culture versus Asian American culture? Cause I have a hard time with that. Can you say that again? Yeah. So I think there's a bit of a fundamental difference from the way that I see white men appropriate or take in or emulate Asian American culture or Asian culture maybe is more specific. Um, opposed to the way they emulate and or use black and African-American culture. And that difference to me is rooted in masculinity, but I'm not totally convinced that I'm right. So I just wanted to ask you, like, do you see a difference in there? Right. And there's definitely a difference. Um, I think when you see this male takeover, the Asian or the Asian American identity, it almost seems like a whole takeover. Okay. Like the white person becomes like wholly invested in like doing everything, every single aspect of the culture. I think that's where it becomes more problematic because a lot of people aren't like getting to the root of this. They don't know the culture. They don't have any appreciation for it. They just look and they pick what's cool, what's visually appealing. And like to use an example, I think a lot of this, like one of the most common ways you see this stem from is like anime. Okay. And like, that's like a fascination for a lot of white people. Like speaking from white experience, of course, I love anime. Um, <laughs> I know a lot of people who do, but some people like take this to a whole nother level. Like they'll start buying like samurai swords, like katanas and robes and like, just like doing this absurd stuff with no respect for the real culture, just because they see it like idealized in like this visual presentation. And like, it's absurd. Definitely. Awesome. So you talked a little bit about um, white men appropriating Asian culture. Yeah. What's the difference between learning it and appropriating it? Cause I think some people, and also I think sometimes I get confused. Um, oh yeah. So I was wondering what your thoughts are on that. Yeah. So this is a conversation I've had with a lot of people and I've heard discussed and it kind of like goes along the lines of like imitation is flattery versus like a, when does it become appropriation and like when does like <clears throat> appreciation for the culture cross? So who says imitation is flattery? you hear that thrown around, right? Like you've heard it. 
Right, but I think I hear it mostly from the people being accused of appropriating. Yeah, it comes from the dominant power. Gotcha. It's a counter argument, like when their power is threatened, I think. Uh, It's all about like knowledge, right? It's about learning like, so this concept, I think that culture is to be preserved and like kept within its boundaries, but not to be segregated. I think like that's important that we all learn and indulge in foreign culture while like aligning within yourselves, right? And like preserving the culture and not crossing boundaries. And so- Part of it is just like knowledge and like you have to become like fully educated about something before you can choose to participate in that thing. And with culture, that's important. You can't start acting like, you know, and you can't start wearing these pieces of culture and like learning about it unless you're actually like getting to the roots of the history, the people and appreciation for it. It's like it's about respect, you know? Yeah, because I do think there's a very superficial quality to appropriation. What I think is really difficult, I'll say difficult in like the podcast sense of difficult, right? Um, Is because of the historical context of colonization and the way white Europeans have just really royally screwed this entire country over. um, Well, the globe over. Uh, (laughs) I don't know if that's entirely possible at this point for white people in specific specifically. And I mentioned how like, I don't totally know how to feel about Lupe fiasco or like black people doing Asian stuff. And, but it's very clear to me when Asian Americans like emulate or appropriate black culture. So like, I do think there's an element of power here that's really difficult to ignore in the concept of appropriation and understanding and appreciating culture. Um, and I, again, I think it's a really complex conversation. I don't really know where that line is either. Yeah. yeah. Cause I think about it as like a white dude. Like if I say I'm learning it, is there, where is that kind of barrier between learning and appropriating? Where does that lie? Yeah. So like if I have the opportunity to go learn it as a white man and like have the, also the other needs of accessibility towards it, then where is their power there? Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm thinking like if I had the opportunity to go to an Asian country and learn their customs, the rituals, the way they um, basically live, then where is their power of me having that knowledge? It's a, it's something I've begun to like struggle with as I learn more about cultural studies and ethnic studies. And it's something I think about all the time that white people have come from this like place of colonialism typically and power. And like, that's something we have to understand is real and has existed and that we've always been the dominant power, particularly all over the world, but like places like Africa and Asia, of course. Um, I think learning to come to terms with that power and understanding how you use it is important because I'm fully aware I have that power, but I'm becoming more aware. And that's why I try to continue my higher level education is to like know when I'm using it and how I should not be using it. Yeah. I think it's a really good point because I experience in my personal life that people specifically white people who go and sort of, or white Americans, I should say, who go and sort of travel around the world, even if it's to like countries in Europe, they come back to the United States, kind of a more well-rounded, more understanding person because when you remove yourself from the culture of the United States to a different culture and you see how they speak of us, I do think there's some level of knowledge intake there that is really healthy um, when sort of exploring a quote unquote foreign culture to the United States. Like, I think that's actually a really good point. So I don't know, again, we're trying to find this line and continuing this conversation that's been happening forever now of what then is that line? And then what is the particularly insidious natures? Like what's the stuff that we should be looking for in white men in particular when they're appropriating Asian American culture? I don't know the answer to that. I'm just asking the question. Yeah, it's tough. And it's like, you can't understand at a superficial level. Almost it's like 
if you could, you'd have to take the time to get to know each person individually and speak with them on their experiences. It's really hard to just look at someone and be like, that guy has no idea what the fuck he's doing. Right. Right. So it's tough. Were there other things that you want to talk about? Yeah. Something I wanted to add to is uh, there's this argument like that because white people come from this place of power, right, which is very evident that they're not allowed. I've heard this argument that they're not allowed to learn about foreign culture. Like that's a real argument that I've had made to me. Okay. like you shouldn't be able to participate in like the learning of foreign culture just because you're white. And I'm like, is that from people of color mostly or I'd say it's about balance. Okay. It's a, it's a pretty even distribution. But the thing is like, I think that everyone has the opportunity to learn, right? Like everyone should be able to go out and explore. It's just, we do really have to get to the root of like this like insidious problem. Like when does it become toxic? When is it evidently a like just culture vulture? You know, you hear that tossed around, but it's true. Cool. So Evan, we've kind of been rooting this in sort of a race conversation. So expanding it into gender a little bit more, I think the way Asian culture is consumed um, is very different along gender lines amongst white people in particular. For some reason, I don't have that much of a beef with white women who are totally into K-pop. But then I th- like think about it the other way around. I'm like, eh, that's kind of gross, dude. But so I'm a little bit confused about it within myself, but I do think there's something along the gender line there that's worth talking about. To comment on that, I'm like, I haven't taken any gender studies courses and I'm not super well-versed in like gender studies, but Asian and Asian American studies really do play like a lot with gender. You see like the particular, the yellow, like the yellow figure, like the role model, uh, of men and women of Asian descent is usually very similar in all representations, right? Like the woman becomes hypersexualized and the man is almost like impish and shy. And I think something white men realize with their power that maybe they're not outwardly projecting and aware of this, but self subconsciously they th- know the yellow man, what they've seen in like media is the yellow man to be weak and easy to be taken advantage of. And so I think white men see Asian culture is the easiest target, right? Awesome. Yeah. And when you complement that with the way Asian women are structured or, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Portrayed. Portrayed. Yes. Thank you, sir. (laughs) The way Asian women are portrayed in the United States, that level of hypersexualization slash submissiveness, um, just really feeds into this particular concept of white men being Asian because there's a sexual conquest element here that needs to be brought to the forefront, I think, of the argument in terms of when it is gross and when it isn't because the way the United States has shaped Asian American women identity is to be the perfect complement for white masculinity um, in the ways that white men are dominant and saviors in this relationship. Like, get these weak small penis Asian men out of here. Let me come in and save you Asian woman with my enormous penis and wealth and right. dominance right. that you so much seek. And so that's beyond appropriation now, right? Like that's beyond culture. That is the conversation around masculinity. I think that really fits into this podcast. Yeah. And I think it kind of goes back to showing how we don't really talk about, we talk about, if we are talking about Asian representation, we don't talk about the other side about as much as this whiteness with it because like uh, I think about the representation of Asian Asian American women like the geisha and how that's either they're labeled as submissive and they also are labeled as like almost like just caretakers of these white white dudes Mm -hmm. and like how white men don't have to literally don't have to pick up a finger (laughs) 
do anything like <laughs> and how we even associate like Asian people. I think from a white standpoint, we associate Asian people as just these like almost servants, basically people that just pick up our <laughs> Um So that's, I think how media kind of plays into it a little bit with white people being Asian. I think white men don't take the role of being emasculated like Asian men do. And so then how do we think about white men particularly think about being Asian? If they are, if they want to even be there, if that makes any sense. Well, so there's masculine aspects of Asian culture that are easy to identify and hold on to. And that's why I think the perception of the problematic men that I identified earlier of sort of being a long haired, skinny dude, that appeal of being white, but having the masculine aspects of Asian culture and then complementing that with the perfect wife that would satisfy all his needs. That's where like my beef with white men trying to be Asian really, really comes from. Definitely. I like really agree with that concept of like the compliment. It's what it seems like to be portrayed as it's just, it almost becomes like this. It's just an easy target for white men, right? They, they can take what they want from the Asian man, like the, the appealing parts, the masculine parts, and then they complete themselves. Right. Just like you said. And it's it's definitely an issue. Well, thank you so much, Evan. Yeah. Yeah, Thank you so much, man. Um, So now that you've kind of talked about, uh, your kind of your experience with this and your thoughts around this discussion. What is your journey with masculinity, man? Where do I start? It's been a long one. That's absolutely certain. Um, I think growing up, I always had really long hair. And I think my parents were kind of like, not the hippie like prototype, but almost there. Like I grew up listening to a lot of punk rock and a lot of reggae music. You know, if you kind of get the image there. So I always had, I grew up <laughs> yeah. in the, I grew up in the mountains with a bunch of fun- white trash hick kids. Unfortunately, I always had long hair. I got bullied for that a lot as a kid, you know, terrible words being tossed around about that gay and such. I never really let it bother me because I didn't struggle with my sexual identity. I don't think as a young child, like elementary school age, but it still got to me because I I dyed my hair like eight different colors by the time I'd hit fifth grade. Um, had a pretty sweet, like 13 inch blue mohawk. (laughs) I thought it was dope, but (laughs) Yeah, uh, I got to middle school. I kind of went through like what a lot of people would call like an emo or a scene phase. Uh, okay. I feel like that's just typical middle school shenanigans. But uh, yeah, I went through the phase of like skinny jeans, all black clothes, painting my nails and stuff. Uh, I think that was me beginning. I was almost like a force, right? To fight back against what I had been like told my whole life. that okay. I was I was like the gay kid at school because uh, I had long hair and I was effeminate or whatever. And that was me pushing back hard. And it wasn't until recently, like late high school, early college where I'm at now that I've like come to terms with being comfortable with like out having to change my identity for other people. Right. And I think my long hair is definitely part of my identity. It's something that people notice right away and something that people make comments on regarding masculinity. (laughs) I don't think it particularly has anything to do with me besides the fact that I just think I look good with it. (laughs) Nice. Nice. Uh, But people try to boil it down to so much more than that. Right. And I... I dress how I like. I, I don't think like there should be any adherence to like gender standards. Like whatever looks good on me, I'm going to wear it. Like I don't give a shit what other people think. That's weird. Do you still paint your fingernails? I do, but not like as a fashion choice. Like I did it for the showdown, like green and gold. Okay. And like one of my friends was like, dude, why are you doing that? That's so girly. I'm like, why does it matter? It's nice. green and gold. It's sick. <laughs> like <laughs> fuck you, dude. <laughs> That's what's up. <laughs> All right. If you have like more questions, like, I don't know. I've never really like 
openly talked about my masculinity, but it's something I've like wanted to talk about. So like, if you have some questions that can lead into that, I guess what was like a, a point where you were like, Hmm, I don't know if this is like, I don't know if I feel like this culture of masculinity fits with me. Is there any kind of thing that you kind of thought about was like, I need to look into this more. I need to think about my identities more. Right. And so Um, I think hip hop music played a big part in that. And it's, it's my love. I just wrote like a seven page paper on understanding of like its significance in history. Uh, hip hop is was like my first love it's like what helped me redefine myself i think in my high school years is like when i finally started discovering that music and so then i tried to learn how to identify with the people that i was hearing right and a lot of that comes from african-american people and so i started to try to identify that way which like in retrospect was wrong i was like trying to become black which (laughs) isn't a thing you should do i was a naive kid raised in the white mountains and this is something like I look back on as a growing experience and hopefully never to do again. But I was like trying to become as black as possible, which it sounds awful to like fight back against the white people around me and define myself. Huh, almost. Okay. And I know that's certainly unique. Like, yeah, it's weird. Did you find, or what was it about trying to be opposite of what people talk? Well, is that sort of a way you define yourself was like trying to be either opposite of the way people were calling you as a kid or leaning into the way people treated you as a kid. You know what I mean? Or was punk slash scene goth or not goth, but emo. <laughs> gotcha. Was that like outside of the whole, you're either there. So that construct that appealed to you, you know what I mean? Yeah. I think maybe that phase was maybe just like a normal phase. Cause like a lot of people I knew okay. at the time went through that. I think that the hip hop and particularly black phase though, was a fight back. I was really just trying to define myself as the opposite. I wanted to, like, I went to a small high school. I wanted to stand out and that came to me as part of the way. And I never crit- got criticized for it. Huh. And that's something I had to like educate myself on. And I've had to criticize myself over time for that and ditch that because okay. no one else would for me. Cause I went to like a small mountain white high school. So for sure. Wait, so you were made fun of for long hair and being a punk. Yes. But not, for taking on a more hyper-masculine exterior of blackness. Yes. Fascinating. Yeah. It's truly absurd. Okay. Yes, it is. I don't know where those people found themselves besides uh, just like paint the picture of like the camo wearing gun shoe and like okay. very generic white male. Mm-hmm. That's what they were. And as a kid, long hair wasn't cool. It was quote unquote gay. And then I don't understand why they didn't have a beef to take with that hyper-masculinity that I took on but yeah it's more acceptable yeah i'm just thinking a little bit because i'm thinking like a lot of things were labeled as gay it's like a middle schooler yeah um true i think my backpack was gay yeah i had like my last name was had in front of it um which is awful anyways sorry that's not that's not the point um oh okay so what about the nail polish was comfortable for you like the recent experience with the showdown. Yeah. That was talking yeah. About. It's not, I don't think about it enough to make it uncomfortable. I'm not thinking about it as being feminine or masculine when I'm putting that nail polish on. I'm thinking of it just like I'm becoming more green and gold, like more of a Ram, right? <laughs> okay. Just like increased representation. Uh, okay. It's like, it's something I've tried to deconstruct. I try not to think about so many gender roles. Like I think right. that's a huge problem in our society because it streamlines everything. And I, I try to break those down as much as possible, those gender walls. Uh, 
So it's just like not something that occurs to me. It was just me putting on nail polish. It's as simple as that. Yeah, for sure. Um, would you be comfortable putting on like a little more a color that was kind of perceived as more feminine, like uh, uh, purple, pink, uh, rather than green and gold? Because I understand like yeah. the school pride, but I think there's more of a challenge for at least for hetero men to really kind of dig deep with having those colors that we view as feminine in our society. Right. And I think I, to put it simply, I do it if it matched my outfit. Like <laughs> there would, there'd have to be a reason for me. Like I would, maybe if I was trying to make a point that men can paint their nails and it doesn't become feminine or it's not a problem. Like if I was making a point to other people around me, I'd do it. But like, I see like no particular reason to. Okay. Right. Uh, you talked about trying to break down gender roles and what ways do you uphold them? That's tough. Like you, do, you yeah, don't think it's something you do without thinking about, I think. And that's part of what I've trying to do as a college student and like pursuing a higher education is like understanding when I'm doing these things. <sighs> when do I uphold gender roles? <laughs> All the time. I'm certain. Of there you go. That's a good, that's, <laughs> that's a good answer. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's hard to know like specific examples I'd say, but I'm, I'm almost certain I'm doing it all the time. I don't think I'm like this perfect model of breaking gender roles and becoming gender fluid. I don't even identify as gender fluid. I identify as male. So right. mm. it's tough. I'm sure. So through some of your journey in terms of being, I don't know, denigrated for the way you express your masculinity, what conclusions have you arrived at in terms of what healthy masculinity even means or looks like? I think personally for me, healthy masculinity isn't a fight back at the opposite. And that's like something we were talking about earlier that I discovered on my journey. It's not just about you're told one thing. So you take the opposite, the hundred percent parallel or perpendicular opposite and fight back. That's not the answer. It's about being comfortable, right? It's just comfortability with what makes you happy and not, you don't, I don't need these images. I don't need these images of the opposites. I don't need the images of what they were calling me or what I should be to fight back. I should just be what makes me comfortable. And that's what I've decided to do. And I don't know what that looks like to other people to, but to me, it looks comfortable. So yes. Yeah, for sure. So now we know that uh, we're just more than our masculinities. Um, we have some quick rapid fire questions to ask you if that's okay. Yeah, for sure. Word. Uh, so where are you from? I'm from, I was born in Logan, Utah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, Mormon <laughs> Central. That's why my parents moved me out of there. They were not Mormon. Uh, grew up in Idaho Springs, Colorado. One of the first small mountain towns yes. to drive past on I-70. Yep, the gold diggers. Yep, that, yeah. that was yeah. me. You know. <laughs> well, every time I drive through Idaho Springs, the I point, field? Yes, I point like, this is my favorite mascot right here. Yeah. Even though, uh, it's not taking on a different meaning. Anyway. I'd right. just like to say we won the contest for coolest mascot in the state. So. <laughs> I'm surprised it wasn't the Impalas. Yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit more about your name. Uh, wow, this is an interesting one. It seems like maybe you did your research or you're just curious, but, uh, just curious. Do either of you know the band sublime? Uh, I've heard of yeah. them. You've heard of them. I've yeah. Heard uh, them. my parents named me after a sublime song that's just called Eben. And it's okay. actually a song. Like the lyrics go something along, like along the lines of like, Eben was a guy I used to know, but now he's down with the PLO and the KKK or something. It's about a dude who like changed and like joined the KKK and went to prison. And I was like, mom, dad, we need to sit down and talk. What the, why did you choose this name? They're like, it's a really nice name. And like my parents, like I, in my eyes are great, not racist at all. I'd like to think, of course, there's a lot of internalized, but they're not like outwardly rude people. And I was like, why the fuck did you choose this name? And they're like, it just sounds really good. We're sorry. The song's about that. And I was like, I guess I'll roll with it. E-B-I-N. Yep. Okay. It, I usually just say Evan okay. when I don't give a shit. 
about meeting people because right. they're just going to think Evan anyways. Uh, <laughs> it's too hard to spell it out. What's your last name? Uh, McLaughlin. Uh, cool. Scott, Irish, we don't know. Yeah, Grandparents cool. were, uh, what do you call it? White. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Immigrants. What are the things? What adopt orphans? Orphans. Yeah. yeah. Grandparents oh. were orphans. We don't know. Okay. Sorry. No, Sorry, sorry do you have to apologize. <laughs> Couldn't find it. College or pro basketball? Ooh. I mean, I had the hoop dreams. I'm not gonna lie, but college is more important. I think growing your mind is the most important tool. Okay. I would love to ball in the NBA though. Not gonna lie. Favorite team? School. Houston Rockets. Okay. Yeah. Unfortunate. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what brought you to CSU? Okay. Uh, it wasn't in my top 10 schools. It wasn't. Yes. There were it 10 was schools. Wow. Okay. Uh, I <laughs> thought I, I was a pretty outstanding student and I thought I could get into like these top tier schools around the nation. I was applying for like Cornell, Grinnell, UCLA, USC, and I didn't. And it was upsetting. And I got incredible financial aid here and I do not regret the decision coming here once. So. Word. Um, you talked a lot about your childhood not being the greatest so do you have a favorite memory from childhood uh going to concerts okay i've been to like 80 something my parents brought me to them all the time as a kid probably like being at red rocks like the first time i can remember being like four and just like jamming and i wow. took a nap under the seats and yeah. i thought that was you got high. yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> so what concert do you absolutely have to go to if it's in the area there's a lot i love music okay uh one of my favorite performers is denzel curry He's kind of new on the hip hop scene, brings okay. a lot of energy. I've seen him twice. Atmosphere is one of my yep. longtime favorite Atmosphere, artists. Yeah. Uh, he sold out like immediately and I was pretty upset about that. <laughs> yeah, those two cool. come to mind. I love Sweet. a lot of music. Word. So if you were to have one skill or talent, what would it be that you don't have already? To learn all languages. Nice. I thought that through. Mm -hmm. Just like to be able to go anywhere and communicate with anyone without boundary. It was like something that's super awesome to me. Just be like C-3PO. Okay. Right. <laughs> A robot. Okay. Good reference. Yeah. Um, <laughs> cool. Thank you for being here, man. Appreciate thanks it. Thanks for having me. Evan, thanks so much for joining us, man. So that'll do it for this episode of Do You Even Lift, Bro? If you have any feedback, thoughts, comments, questions, or want to be interviewed for a podcast, please email wgac at colostate.edu. That's wgac at c-o-l-o-s-t-a-t-e dot edu. Huge shout out to our partnership with the Women and Gender Advocacy Center and KCSU here at Colorado State University for allowing this podcast to actually happen. We really appreciate it and we're thankful. For more content about masculinity, check out meninthemovement.blogspot.com and for more information about the WGAC go to wgac.colostate.edu for more KCSU content go to kcsufm.com music production by Xavier Hadley aka Zavli check him out at soundcloud.com slash Xavier Hadley that's X-A-V-I-E-R-H-A-D-L-E-Y deuces peace <laughs>